0: Welcome to the On Centerline podcast, a show where we discuss the trials and tribulations of learning to fly from both the student and flight instructor perspectives. We feature real aviators in all different chapters of their careers talking about the things we all deal with but rarely discuss. So join us as we take on the challenges, hardships, and celebrations that pave the runway to being a professional aviator as we strive to stay on Centerline. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you all are doing fabulous out there. For those of you new to the podcast, I'm Sam Terrell, your Northwest Aeronaut on YouTube. Be sure to check out the channel. If you enjoy this podcast, I'm sure you'll find some very helpful and educational videos there as well. So, you know, a lot of uh, talk going around lately about the 70-50 rule that uh, has been propagated for a long time as kind of our rule of thumb when it comes to aborting a takeoff. Uh, We're wanting to look for 70% of our rotation speed by 50% of the runway available. And over the years, I think this has been a good rule of thumb. I personally don't have any issues with it. Um, but there's been some articles and, and videos made recently of people who who do have issues with it. And I can understand their uh qualms. I can understand their uh skepticism as far as it's concerned and and some of the holes that it leaves to be filled. Um but you know those are all things that I think always need to be considered. I don't think it takes away from the rule as a whole. But there is certainly more that goes into a proper pre-takeoff briefing and abort plan briefing than just saying, okay, 70-50. And that's what I wanted to talk a little bit about today is the 70-50 rule and when it should be applied, how to apply it, but more importantly, what all should we be considering when we are thinking about a takeoff abort plan? So if you ask any one of my students uh, what we do for our takeoff and abort plan briefings, uh, they'll tell you we do it in two parts. There's two parts to it. First, we have our departure briefing. Now, our departure briefing is pretty straightforward. It's basically where we're going and how we're going to get there. This is a time we use to bug our departure headings. We bug our final altitudes or our initial altitudes if we're on an IFR flight plan and maybe ATC gave us an initial altitude to fly up to. But we're going to be briefing these things and we're going to make sure we have everything set up and ready for our departure. From there, we get into our abort plan briefing. And this should be the last thing you do prior to just making your call on the radio and taking the runway. You don't want to have anything else between your abort plan briefing and and your actual departure, because you want this to be the freshest thing in your mind. You want it to be at the very forefront and top of your mind as to what you're gonna do in the event anything abnormal occurs. So we basically break up our abort plan into three different parts. The first part is what do we do if something happens on the runway? The next part is what do we do if something happens just off the runway? Shortly after takeoff, Below 1,000 feet. And then finally, what do we do if we get to 1,000 feet or higher and we have a problem? Now, within these three sections, there could be subsections, things that perhaps are specific to your particular airport or the airport you're at, or specific to the current conditions or aircraft you're in. So let's start out by looking at the first section. What do we do if we have any problems on the runway? Now, This is not just about having a problem on the runway. And this is where the 70-50 rule comes into play. It's about setting an expectation of what we expect to see out of our aircraft performance-wise. Now, I think it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that if you are on a super long runway, and I would say realistically anything over 5,000 feet, maybe even 4,000 feet, but certainly anything over 5,000 feet, you don't really have to worry about this type of briefing uh, for, for what we're about to talk about. The seventy fifty rule simply doesn't apply, nor does any other type of abort point identification. So there's a difference between having a problem on the runway where something is physically or obviously wrong and simply not getting the performance you're expecting out of your aircraft. Certainly, no matter how long the runway is, if we have a problem, whether we blow a tire, whether the engine starts running rough, whether your airspeed doesn't come alive, right? This time of year, it's summer. We get a lot of bees and wasps and a wasp bunch of insects flying around. You get one of those stuck in your pitot tube. Your airspeed just stays dead. It doesn't come up. Okay any one of those types of problems, obviously you're going to abort the takeoff and you need to be ready to do that. But when it comes to establishing an abort point and identifying a certain level of performance that you want to have by that abort point, that's different than having an obvious problem. What we're basically saying is that we have a limited amount of runway here available to us. And to ensure a safe takeoff, we need to see this level of performance by this point on the runway or we are aborting the takeoff because there's no guarantee after that that we will be able to stop the airplane safely with the runway remaining. Nor is there a guarantee that we will be successful in the takeoff. So generally, the halfway point is a good point to pick. And especially if there's something easily identifiable at that halfway point, It makes for a convenient place to choose an abort point and ensure you're going to have enough room available to stop the aircraft. Now, of course, depending on how long the runway actually is on super, super short runways, half of the runway might not be adequate to stop, especially depending on what type of performance you're expecting to see. So you might have to choose something a third of the way down the runway. But what are the things we want to consider when choosing this abort point? Well, obviously, length of the runway is a big one. We want to know, hey, if this is the performance, let's say we're going to be at 50 knots, okay? Or let's just say 55 knots, okay? Most Cessnas, most small GA aircraft will rotate right around 55 knots. And so choosing rotation speed as the performance level we want to see out of our aircraft by that abort point is a good metric to use. So let's say we want to see 55 knots by our abort point, which is halfway down the runway. Well, if we don't see 55 knots, we're going to stop and abort the takeoff. So realistically, what we need to do is say, okay, well, what's the fastest I would be going if I abort this takeoff? And according to our logic here, it would be 54 knots because as of 55, we're going to keep going. So at 54 knots, how long does it take you to bring your aircraft to a stop? This is something you could use your performance charts and your POH to kind of figure out uh, based off your landing distance. But you could also go out to a super long runway and actually do some tests to see how long it takes you. Bring your aircraft up to 54 knots and then abort to takeoff and see how long it takes you to stop. So let's just say it takes you 600 feet to stop the aircraft when you're going 54 knots. That would mean that on a runway up to 1,200 feet long, the halfway point would still be barely adequate. I would argue that 1,200 feet would be pushing it, but 600 feet remaining at the halfway point would technically allow you to stop. However, if the runway was only 1,000 feet long, well, now the halfway point is no longer a suitable abort point to choose, knowing that we may need up to 600 feet to stop that aircraft. Now we got to choose a point that's only 400 feet down that runway, which is going to be prior to the halfway point. So this is kind of an extreme example I'm using, but it illustrates the point I'm trying to make, which is that simply going off the halfway point for any given runway may or may not be adequate for the conditions or the aircraft you're flying. So what else do we have to consider? Well, First of all, what type of surface are you taking off from? Is it a hard, flat, paved runway? Or is it grass? Or is it gravel? What's the condition of that surface? Is it wet? Is it dry? Does it have a bunch of dirt or sand on it? All of these things come into play and can affect your stopping performance as well as your accelerating performance. Is the runway perfectly level or do you have a slight incline? An incline going up on departure is going to make it so that you accelerate slower, but at the same time, it's going to allow you to stop quicker. An incline going down is going to mean you accelerate more quickly, but it's also going to mean you're going to need more room to come to a stop. What are the current weather conditions like? Are you at an airport at a high elevation Is it a hot day with a high density altitude? Do you have a headwind or is it a calm wind or is it a tailwind? All of these things are going to affect how quickly you accelerate and how quickly you are able to come to a stop. So looking at my home airport, Twin Oaks, we have a 2,400 foot runway. And it's nice because halfway down this 2,400 foot runway, we have a very identifiable high-speed taxiway off the right side of the runway. Now, our runway also has a slight gradient, a slight slope to it. When we are taking off to the north on runway 02, we are going uphill. So while this can cause us to accelerate a little bit slower, it also is going to allow us to stop a little faster. And generally, choosing the halfway point as our abort point is adequate usually our planes have no problem getting to our rotation speeds by that abort point. However, on hotter days, if I was flying a more heavily loaded aircraft than normal, I might say to myself, well, you know, today's pretty hot. We got a higher density altitude. I'm heavily loaded. And I may not actually see rotation speed by the halfway point. I should be pretty close, but I may not see exactly 55. Now this doesn't mean that the takeoff won't be safe to continue, but I need to set realistic expectations as to what I should see. So on those high density altitude, heavily loaded airplane days, I might say, okay, I want to see 50 knots. I should see 50 knots minimum by the time I cross that halfway point. That's 90% of my rotation speed which is still far greater than our 70-50 rule that we uh, are discussing here. So as long as I see that 50 knots, I feel comfortable continuing that takeoff and should get to 55 knots shortly after. Now again, this is all aside from just simply monitoring my aircraft on takeoff roll, making sure everything is feeling and looking good. We're still checking to make sure, of course, airspeed's coming alive. Everything's in the green with the engine. The engine's producing good static RPM, and that the power is up where it should be. All of those need to happen on every takeoff, no matter what. But what I'm saying when I identify this abort point is that even if everything seems perfect, even if everything seems to be running well and everything's working properly, if I don't see this performance out of my aircraft by this point, I am going to abort the takeoff because Even if something isn't wrong, something obviously is not in line with the calculations or expectations I set forth for myself, and I may need to recalibrate my expectations. So this abort plan briefing and this this abort point is something that should be done on any smaller, shorter runway. I would argue anything under 3,000 feet, you should set an abort point. And again, usually halfway is fine, but on those super short runways, it might be a little bit earlier than halfway. So for instance, same runway, same airport at Twin Oaks. We talked about how I use the high-speed taxiway halfway down the runway on 02. However, on runway 20, it's a little bit different story because now we have a downhill sloping runway. And of course, if we're going downhill, yes. I should accelerate a little quicker, but it's also going to take me longer to stop. Also, now coming from this direction, the high-speed taxiway isn't as visible. So instead, we have a windsock off the right side of the plane when we're on 2-0. It's much more visible and identifiable, and it happens to be placed slightly prior to the halfway point. So the windsock makes a great abort point for when I am taking off on two zero. Now, again, because the windsock isn't quite halfway down the runway, I have to make realistic expectations as to what my performance is going to be. So even if I was taking off on 0-2 that same day and time, and I said, okay, I should see rotation speed by the halfway point, by that high-speed taxiway, I can't make necessarily the same... Uh, expectation for two zero since my abort point is now closer to me. So I may adjust it slightly and say, okay, I should see again, 50 knots prior to that windsock or by that windsock. So the point of all of this is we need to be identifying proper abort points for the airport we're at, for the aircraft we're in, for the configuration of that aircraft at the time and for the current conditions that will allow us to come to a stop safely on remaining runway should performance not meet our expectations. The 70-50 rule in its most black and white version is rarely something that's going to be reasonable. Only in the most adverse of situations, meaning the highest density altitudes, the heaviest loading of an aircraft, the shortest of runways only in these most extreme circumstances would the 70 50 rule actually be reasonable as stated. It would take a lot for me to say that I'm going to be comfortable only seeing 70% of my rotation speed by the time I cross that halfway point of that runway. So while it's not out of the realm of, of viability, to say 7050 it is not something you can just make a blanket statement about you have to run the numbers you have to be honest with yourself you have to know your aircraft you have to look at your performance charts and you have to do the math and say is this a realistic expectation for the plane and the conditions and the runway that I'm on so that's our abort plan briefing for when we are on the runway and that's really what the 70 50 rule is all about beyond that like i said we have plans for when we get just off the runway under a thousand feet and when it comes to that again there could be some sub parts to this briefing so for instance at twin oaks we have very tall trees off the departure end of zero two and It just so happens that to the left of those trees, we have nice, beautiful open fields. So we always brief that if we get off the ground and have any type of engine failure right after takeoff, when these trees are just staring us down, we're going to go immediately to the left of those trees because that's the most viable emergency landing option. And that's something you should identify and be aware of for any airport you go to is where are the best landing spots available right beyond the threshold of the runway. So if I lose my engine at 100 feet, I know exactly where I'm going. From there, once those trees are cleared, we kind of can default to our standard below 1,000 feet operating procedure, which is, hey, if we lose our engine below 1,000 feet AGL, we're going to land somewhere straight ahead Plus or minus 30 degrees. Basically, what you can see out your front windscreen. If you have to look out the side window to see it, it's probably not a viable option. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, oh, well, I can make I'll easily make a 180 turn back to the runway at 600 feet above the ground. And you very well might be able to. I always train my students to use that thousand feet as a threshold because as newer pilots, you just don't have that experience. You don't know the capabilities of the aircraft. You don't know your own capabilities that well until you have a chance to actually train in those environments to be able to safely make a steeper turn at lower altitudes like that. So certainly as you get more experience as a pilot, And as you really learn the aircraft you're flying, those minimums, that thousand foot above the ground kind of minimum might come down. And that's a decision you have to make for yourself, but you need to be realistic about it. And no matter what altitude you end up choosing as that point in which you say, hey, if I hit this altitude and I lose my engine, I'm going to turn back and land on the runway. No matter what that altitude is, you still have other things to consider when making that decision. And what I mean by that is, for instance, at Twin Oaks, we already talked about the differences between 2 and two zero. 02 is going uphill, but it also has tall trees off the departure end, which means that two zero is going downhill and has tall trees on the approach end. So no matter what, as my personal minimum, and of course my personal minimums are much lower or higher, depending on how you look at it, than my students. I would feel comfortable turning a plane around and landing on a runway at 600 AGL. However, under no circumstances, even if I'm at 1000 AGL, am I personally comfortable turning around and landing on 20 without an engine. Doesn't matter how high I am, because I've done enough practice with power off approaches to runway 20. To know that those trees and the turbulence associated with them and the downdrafts combined with the fact that we have a short downhill sloping runway makes for a very hard power off approach and landing. And it would not be successful most of the time. So I would rather just land in an open field than try to turn around and land on two zero without an engine. Now, 0-2, completely different story. I will land on 0-2 without an engine all day if I'm in a position to do so. But altitude is not the only thing to consider when making that decision, hey, if this happens, I'm gonna turn around and land on the runway. So beyond that, once you get to that magic altitude, whatever it is for you, or as a default, 1,000 feet AGL, then we say, okay, 1,000 feet AGL or higher, if we lose our engine, We're going to try to come back to the runway here, assuming, you know, at Twin Oaks, assuming at zero two, that's what I'll do. But again, you have to ask yourself some questions and brief the situation appropriately. And this is where our departure briefing comes in, because in our departure briefing, prior to our abort plan briefing, we're going to say, hey, we are going to be departing, for instance, let's say to the north straight out on zero two. We're going to be making a straight out departure. Well, a straight out departure to the north on 02 and a 150 means that I will get to a thousand feet AGL probably about three or so miles, at least, (laughs) away from the airport and in the opposite direction of 02, which is the runway I would be landing on. So even at a thousand feet, it's not going to put me in a position to where I'm going to be able to come back and land on that runway should I lose my engine. On the other hand, if I'm making a downwind departure to the south, then that's easy because by the time I reach a thousand feet, I'll be on the downwind leg right up beam the numbers. And then it's just like any power off landing. But you have to ask yourself, where is my departure taking me? And what realistic options am I going to have available to me come this time? Where do I expect to hit a thousand feet AGL? What will be around me? So it's not always viable to just say, hey, if I reach a thousand feet or higher, I'm going to come back to the runway. That's always a good goal if you're able to do it. But bottom line is we'll say, hey, we're going to come back to the runway if able, or we'll choose the next best option. So when we put all of this together, this is kind of what a standard departure and abort plan briefing sounds like when I'm doing it with a student or, or just by myself. The situation here is we are in a standard training flight at Twin Oaks, departing from runway 02, and this is how it would go. All right, our departure briefing, we are going to be departing from runway 02 here at Twin Oaks. We are going to be making a southwest departure. Our departure heading is 240. So we're going to bug that heading, 240, and we'll be going out to the west practice area. We're going to be climbing up to an altitude of 3,500 feet, we'll go ahead and bug that here with our altitude bug. Now for our abort plan briefing. We always start every abort plan briefing with where we are at. Here we are at Twin Oaks, we are departing runway 02, and we have 2,400 feet of usable runway available. Our abort point has been identified as the high-speed taxiway halfway down the runway. If we do not see rotation speed of 55 knots by the time we cross that abort point, We will be pulling the power to idle, maintaining directional control, and bringing the aircraft to the stop on the runway. If we hit 55 and get off the runway, when we have an engine failure below 1,000 feet, specifically before those trees off the departure end, we're going to be going to the left of those trees into the open field. If we get lucky and that doesn't happen, then when our engine fails beyond the trees, we will be just landing straight ahead plus or minus 30 degrees. As necessary. If we get lucky and that doesn't happen, when our engine fails at a thousand feet or higher, we will do our best to come back to the runway. If we're not in a position to do so safely, we will choose the next best option. So that's what a standard departure and abort plan briefing sounds like when we're doing it at Twin Oaks. For all of you out there, training out of a smaller airport with a smaller runway, I encourage you to do a similar briefing prior to every takeoff. A departure briefing should always happen no matter what airport you're at. And a proper engine out briefing should always happen as well, knowing what's beyond the departure end of your runway should you lose an engine shortly after takeoff and knowing what emergency landing spots are around the airport in case you cannot make it back to the runway. Also knowing what other runways might be available. For runways that cross each other, it might not be suitable to turn back and land on the runway you departed from, but it might be very easy to make a shallower turn and land on an intersecting runway if you had a low altitude engine failure. So the last thing I want to make very clear about this abort plan briefing is that we are never talking about if this happens. It's putting into our heads that this is going to happen. That's the point of these briefings. It's not if, it's when. You heard me in our briefing. I didn't say if we lose our engine above a thousand feet. I said when we lose our engine. So it's when we lose our engine shortly after takeoff, we're going to the left of the trees. If we get lucky and that doesn't happen, then when we lose our engine above a thousand feet, we'll try to come back to the runway. It's always about when if you put it in your head as only a hypothetical you will treat it that way and ultimately you won't be ready for it when it happens if you put it in your head as a certainty maybe not a certainty on that day but as a certainty at some point then you'll always be ready for it when it actually happens So we want to be doing these briefings under the assumption that this is going to happen. If you go out with an instructor and you practice these aborted takeoffs or you practice these loss of thrusts after takeoff, you guys will brief it ahead of time. Your instructor might say something like, okay, we're going to go down the runway and at some point I'm going to pull the power on you and you're going to have to abort the takeoff and come to a stop. Or I'm I'm going to say something like, oh, there's a coyote on the runway and you're going to have to abort the takeoff. And you'll do that and everything will go great because you're expecting it to happen. You need to always be expecting it to happen to the point where before every takeoff, you're just imagining the CFI sitting next to you saying, okay, on this takeoff, you're not going to hit 55 by that halfway point. And when you don't hit 55 on that halfway point, you're going to pull the power to idle and come to a stop or you're going to imagine him saying hey shortly after takeoff i'm going to pull your power on you and you're going to put that nose down and you're going to go land in that field straight ahead so that when that day comes and that happens it's a non-event you've been expecting it you've been waiting for it and you react appropriately so guys i hope this little dive into departure and abort plan briefings and Relating it to the 70-50 rule has been helpful in helping you kind of identify where you can improve your own pre-takeoff briefings and, and the mentality you have prior to every takeoff. Please, if you found this helpful, share this episode with others who you think might benefit from it as well. Subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to check out and subscribe to the YouTube channel. I've got a lot of great content there and more coming out regularly. I really appreciate you all being here with me today, and we'll see you next time on Centerline.